Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Opening arguments here. Episode three brought to you by Conduct Detrimental, your leader in sports law coverage. Well, it's March Madness season and I couldn't be happier. The boys are back in town. A couple of fellows from the ACC are joining me today on today's episode. Mr. Mike Lawson, the Syracuse Orangeman, and Mr. Taryn Sharma, the Duke Blue Devil. Gentlemen, how are we? Thanks for having me, Colin. And uh, I'm excited to uh, rain buckets like Buddy Buckets. I'm not throwing punches, but I'll, oh. be throwing, I'll be throwing shots up. Got to be careful there. You saw Mr. Beheim had to be had to be removed from contest on Friday. Wasn't allowed to play uh, Coach K and the Duke Blue Devils after his uh, seeing the game prior. But Taryn, doing well, bud. How are we? Uh, I was better last week when Duke's defense wasn't abominable, but. Uh... <laughs> We're still dancing, so that's more than I can say. That's right. Rutgers and Duke still dancing. Two out of three. We're shooting over 50%. That's fine. But let's move from the hardwood to the gridiron, fellas, and we'll start in the NFL. Deshaun Watson was deemed not guilty, or excuse me, was not charged criminally, rather, uh, by a Texas grand jury on Friday. He will be eligible for the 2022 season. But for how many games? And that's where we'll start. Will Deshaun Watson be suspended from the NFL and over or under four and a half games? Mike, to you. Slam the under. Slam it. Under, under, under. Deshaun Watson, we've seen uh, the last year has just been uh, up and down for what's going to happen on any sort of punishment. Uh, He was not formally punished by the NFL, yet he didn't strap up the pads. He didn't put on pads. He didn't play a single game last year. That was definitely coming from the Houston uh, Texans side. He was paid to not play. Uh, The Commissioner Goodell actually came out with a statement saying that there was not enough to put him on the the exempt list, um, the you know paid to not play you know on the NFL commissioner's exempt list. Um, but we saw the grand jury come down saying that there was not enough to proceed forward with uh, criminal charges, and he was not indicted. Uh, granted, there is 22 cases against him, uh, but we've seen in the precedent. I know that, um, that there's a six game that was put down on Ben Roethlisberger. That's the biggest one. However, it was uh, then lowered to four games as well. Um, we're going to see differences with Antonio Brown in his situation where he was given eight, yet that was for sexual assault as well as the throwing rocks. And that's time. Mike, Taryn, to you. Yeah, I think that this is more in the uh, neighborhood of what Antonio Brown was kind of accused of with sexual misconduct. Uh, like you mentioned, so he, he wasn't officially put on the exempt list by the commissioner and he was paid. So to me, that says that no real punishment has been handed down at this point. And despite the lack of criminal charges, it hasn't taken criminal charges for the NFL to suspend players in the past. You brought up the, uh, the Roethlisberger element of it. He was suspended of six, uh, six games after allegations of sexual misconduct in a Georgia bar. Um, and Goodell said at that time is that NFL players are held to this higher standard. And so that's why he was suspended for the six games. And he basically had to go and grovel at the Westchester airport to Goodell to get that uh, winnowed down by a couple of games. The other factors being there that uh, the Roonies are very tight with the NFL. So I'm going over. I think that this is going to be six games. I could see eight games like Brown, but six games for over. That's it. Mike, 30 seconds rebuttal. It's got to be under, though, because with the Roethlisberger situation, that was a six games initially, but it was lower to four games for good behavior. I get the, the connections there. But these were two rape charges, two horrible, horrible, horrible accusations and allegations here. Uh, and I'm not downplaying what's happening with, with Deshaun Watson, but one of them, he actually settled out of court. The other one was a similar situation where the DA chose not to go forward because there was insufficient evidence. So when, when you compare the Roethlisberger one, Four games seems to be the perfect punishment that, that could be implemented because of that. Now, Taryn, 30-second final. 
I'm still seeing more than four games. I think that the fact that there's so many of these civil suits that are still out there, 22, that is a staggering number, and none of them have come close to being settled at this point. The thinking was last year, according to Mike Florio, that uh, if Watson had settled these in order to facilitate a trade to the Dolphins, that the suspension would be around six games. Now, at that time, there was still the, the criminal charges hanging over his head. So even with those dealt with, what are we looking at? Five games? I still hit the over. Taryn, all right. Gentlemen, a nice, heated, debated first topic, but I have to go with Mike here. I don't see it. Obviously, with the Rothberger, with the bar for Roethlisberger being so low, I, I truly believe Deshaun Watson's on the field week one of next season. And that's he's definitely not going to be in Houston, but I don't see him being suspended for more than four, four games would be the max for me. So I, I go under. Mike Lawson, the point to you. All right, fellas, let's stay now here on the gridiron. Calvin Ridley, Calvin, 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 was suspended – for a full season last week by the NFL after it was announced that he had been caught gambling on NFL games. He had placed a uh, series of wagers totaling the amount of $1,500 while he was away from the team back in November of this past year. Calvin Ridley suspended for a year. Is that a justifiable year long suspension, Mike? Does, does that need to be lower? It is absolutely, absolutely justifiable. And it's a hard line rule. You gamble on sports, you're, you're suspended. You know, I, I understand, and we're going to see the comparisons here. The NFL has such horrible, horrible past history with sexual abuse and violent crimes, which we, we just discussed with Deshaun Watson. But you got to talk about precedent here, right? We're not talking about what should be done or what shouldn't be done. It's what what's the NFL going to do? We can bicker all day on on what the NFL should do because their policies are so bad. But here's an instance where it is a hard line rule. There is one bet that had that that's made then then you are you are punished here and calvin ridley the idiot he goes on twitter and he admits that he bet it if he didn't say anything then there could have been some sort of investigation <laughs> he could have denied it he could whatever he goes on to twitter and says it was only fifteen hundred dollars i don't have a gambling problem uh you know whatever that's one what i say too on, one of the bets was on the falcons this is a hundred percent justifiable all right there you go 60 seconds tarantino Colin, i think that this is absurd okay you might look at past at I know that the NFL isn't great with precedent. You might look at some of these past ones. I think Alex Karras suspended for the entire 63 season. Paul Hornan, same thing. Art Schlichter, uh, Schlichter, big gambling problem. He was betting on basketball, suspended for the entire 83 season. That was before the NFL opened the door to gambling. Now it's all legal, and they're partnered with these companies. You've got Mannings and commercials with J.B. Smoot and Halle Berry. I, I think uh, if we're to believe that we're all Caesars, that there's no reason why Calvin Ridley should be suffering a worse fate than people like Greg Hardy, who, uh, you know, we, we know exactly what he was accused of and all of those heinous activities. Uh, he was suspended 10 games. It was reduced to four. Uh, Adrian Peterson beat his child with a switch 15 games. And Calvin Ridley's supposed to miss a full, uh, what is it, 18 games now? Yeah. It, it, it's just, it, it's absurd to me that that is what Mike, draws 30. that punishment. But again, we, we, talk, we you can't compare it to the violent crimes because the NFL doesn't have a hard line rule. This is a hard line rule. You gamble on games, it, it, it violates the integrity of the game. He bet on the Falcons 
So that even just goes to show, even though he was away from the team, he can he knows who's going to play that game, who's not going to play that game, what what's going to happen here. So it's a hardline rule. It, he 100% needs to be suspended. It's one year. He, he said he even said he's like I'm gonna I'm gonna use this time to get better mentally and physically anyway. So who knows if he was even going to to play this year either. So he he should be suspended. Taryn, final. I think that the the reason why he's being suspended in this case, and again, I don't argue with him being suspended that's fine but it's that a year is a ridiculous amount and the reason that he's being suspended for a year is because it's messing with the nfl's money and it's because he really wasn't with an nfl partner so uh you're telling me that hard rock can have their name on a, on the miami Dolphins stadium but it's not okay for uh for ridley to use the app he's not betting against the teams he was uh, betting some ridiculous parlays anyway <laughs> all right and that's it no longer. Mike, you make good points. Obviously, compromising the integrity of the game. Big no-no. Not good. The NFL certainly getting into the betting grounds and all that stuff. But, Taryn, you're right. You cannot have a player being suspended for an entire year and guys with domestic violence cases continuously getting a third, half of those. So, Taryn Charmer, the point is yours. And we are now moving to our rubber match, which will be taking place in Major League Baseball. All right. And our final topic to round out episode three of opening arguments brought to you by Conduct Detrimental, your leader in sports law coverage. Moving to the diamond now. Rejoice, baseball fans. Baseball is back. We thought there for a while looked pretty bleak, but we have resumed. And there will be a full 162-game season, even after that crow Manfred laughed in our faces a week ago. We, we Nonsense is out the window. The season's back on. Terrence Sharma, lead us off. After the lockout, who's the winner, the owners or the players? You got 60 seconds. Well, uh, I, I think it would be hard not to argue that the owners won this. The basic system is still in place. That basic system has led to skyrocketing revenues and incredible growth in franchise values that not even the stock market can match, despite what the commissioner might tell you. So uh, given that they weren't able to uh, make the players make any inroads on revenue sharing uh, to and the fact that they had to drop a grievance that they had outstanding over Manfred's unilateral implementation of the 60 game COVID season uh, and the lost wages with that. I think that this is a massive win for the owners. But the biggest thing, they have this 45 day committee now. And so they're able to, on 45 day notice, change the rules of the game. And in addition to the uh, revenue streams that they've unlocked, which I'll talk about in a second. In addition to revenue streams, you'll have to come back to that. Mike Lawson, 60 for you. The players won. The players won. They went into this with the goal of trying to get more money into the pockets of younger players. Now, it didn't come in the form that they probably wanted, but there's a $50 million pool after arbitration where it has um, the top players in war who, who finish at the end of the year will get, a, get a piece of that $50 million arbitration pool. You've got uh, the increase in the the luxury tax. It went up from 210 to 230. Granted, I think they wanted 238, but 230. And by the end in 2026, it's up to 244. Uh, now everybody says this is a, this is basically a salary cap. It's a soft cap because the player, you know, the teams just huddle around that top and they don't want to pay the luxury tax. But the players won because they got younger players money faster. They have this arbitration pool. They have the increase in, in the minimum salary going up. To, so it's 700000 next year, and it's going to be by 2026, it'll up, be up 780000 The players won. They got more money. That's what they wanted. Karen Sharma, 30 deal. Yeah. So 
I agree that the CBT did go up, but they also added another tier. So this Cohen tax now exists. They have a hard cap basically on runaway spending, 80% on every dollar above that. That's a huge win for the owners. They uh, have also gotten these uh, ad patches that they're going to put on the uniforms. That's going to lead to more money. And, uh, and so I think that um, if you look at it, the fact that they didn't have to tie CBT to any sort of revenue like any other cap, there's no salary floor. Uh, and I think all of that contributes to an owner win. Mike Lawson, round us out. Final 30 seconds, episode three. There's no salary floor, but again, you're increasing the minimum salary. So 700,000 is going to be the minimum salary now. And what, what we're seeing now is, is we're even seeing more advocating uh, advocation for, uh, younger players in the minor leagues, we're seeing all that. That was before the CBA. So we already see the advocation coming forward. We have everything based on war. We've got the the luxury tax, which basically forces teams to pay more. Uh, you're going to have to go up. I mean, obviously you have these monster contracts, but now you're, there's more money at the bottom for the little guys. The average is rising, so we can actually get the average player salary over a And the average player salary ends us there. It was good. It was both sides making solid points there. Terrence Sharma, you're today's winner. I think for the owners to not have to – each side compromise, but I think the owners compromised a lot less. The players definitely did get the little fish, uh, a little bit of bigger piece of the pie. But with that being said, the owners don't get the drastic increases that the players wanted. So, Terrence Sharma, your Episode three's winner. FaceTime is to you. Oh, this is awesome. Uh, I'm really excited to uh, to be able to win. Uh when I was a kid, I loved watching Around the Horn. I got a chance to go watch PTI uh, with some friends when I was a kid. And uh, I don't know if you remember, but Tony Reale used to do the uh, the Stat Boy kind of role yeah. at the end. And uh, and I love Tony Reale. I still do. And so we're sitting there and we watch uh, Will Bond and Kornheiser. They do their thing. And uh, and then I, I look over and then Reale's just standing there. And he looks over. He's like, and I giggled like a little schoolgirl. So for me to be able to do this, uh, at so this I'm, point I'm your Tony Riley awesome. then essentially. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's yeah, the yeah. same mutual feeling. I don't see a giggle, so I, I couldn't tell. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. All right. And to round out episode three, we're going to lead into our final segment. We introduced this last week on the show, who is being charged with contempt of court this week. It's the NCAA as they yet bungled another huge scenario here where Bellerman, the Knights being ineligible for postseason play, even though they won the Atlantic Sun Conference Tournament. NCAA, they're considered to be the Bellerman Knights considered to be in the transition phase, moving from Division Two to Division One. But they won. They should have gotten an auto bid to the tourney. Guys, I mean, is this just another misstep by the NCAA? Yeah, I, I would say so. I, I feel bad for the, the players and the coach. Uh, they came and played at Cameron last year. Obviously, uh, no fans in the stands, but um, they they really played tough, and those kids showed a lot of heart, and they were back and forth with Duke in the first half, and obviously that wasn't a good Duke team. But um, mm -hmm. I, I think that kids play their entire four- or five-year careers without the opportunity to go to the dance, and so I, I'm – it's a shame that this is being taken away from them. Mike, your final thoughts on Bellarmine? Yeah, the NCAA created this rule to uh, assist 
lower lower schools uh, from transitioning from D three D two to to up to D one. It, it's to protect them from not getting smacked right away. However, they had a, yeah. a very aggressive uh, schedule. They were playing some big teams: Gonzaga, Duke, Gonzaga, they, UCLA at home. I mean, they they play they play competitors. They play teams. They got five teams in the NCAA tournament that they played. Obviously, they played, I, I don't they, mean to cut you off, but yeah, go ahead. No, no. They played up and, and they played unbelievable, and then they win the A Sun. So here, here's an example where there needs to be a, a caveat because obviously, if if this is meant to aid some other schools, like there are other ineligible, there's other teams that are in this transition phase, just yeah. as, just as uh, as well. As but they're Bellin. not competing and they're not winning conference titles. They're not titles. competing, right? So there needs to be some sort of caveat. There's there are waivers, there are eligibility waivers. I'm sure that they can they can go to the NCAA, but it's just another procedural uh, mumbo jumbo that you have to jump through hoops to get to the NCAA. Yeah, where there should be a caveat. If you're successful, if you clearly don't need this this transition phase, then then you should be able to go forward. It seems every year when the NCAA gets its shining spotlight, last year was the NIL players potentially holding out, missing tournament games. Now this year, just another episode where the NCAA has absolutely bungled um, the scenario here. Obviously, we, we have on the graphic on the screen, uh, Twitter had a little fun with the idea of Bellarmine being ineligible uh, despite winning their conference. This is from official, official Ohio State DG in revised to John Rothstein's tweet. Uh, you can check it out right there. So, a shame for those kids. They even actually have a video I'll play for you right here um, regarding what their thoughts on being ineligible. Told that this rule applies to programs that are transitioning, but as far as uh, we know, we've met every criteria that the NCAA and the ASUN have laid out in front of us, and we just won our conference tournament. So as far as we know, Bellarmine is not transitioning. We've arrived. They have arrived. And with that, final quick thing. Tom Brady, back. Guys, what do we think? Um, also, someone just bought his last touchdown ball at auction yesterday for a whopping 500-plus grand. Hate to be that guy right now. Ooh, man, that kid's college. That kid better get a scholarship. His dad just blew a lot of money on Tom Brady's, like, 115th to last touchdown ball because I still think he plays two more seasons. Guys, any final thoughts? I hope that wire didn't go through. That that uh, That's tough. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Mike, your finals. Tom is back. Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay. Yeah, do they have one more Super Bowl run left in them? That the roster's still pretty good. It's still a solid team. And it and it knocks off another location that Deshaun Watson can't get traded to. That's true. All right, gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining me. All right, guys. That's opening arguments, episode three, brought to you by Conduct Detrimental, your leader in sports law coverage. Appreciate you guys joining me. March Madness this week. Enjoy yourselves. Be safe. For Conduct Detrimental, I'm Colin Farrell.